0: Well, I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning. Go ahead and open to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. If you didn't bring one with you today, feel free to grab one of those blue Bibles from the rack in front of you. You'll find that passage on page 1165 in one of those blue Bibles. As always, we have those message notes in the bulletin. encourage you to pull those out as well with a pen or pencil so you can jot down some notes along the way. We continue this morning our new message series called Jesus... Plus Nothing Equals Everything, a study through the book of Colossians that Paul wrote to the church there in Colossae. And this is such a timely and such a a relevant series because as we saw last week, uh, we live in a day and time where most people treat God like a trip to the Golden Corral. You know, we step up with our spiritual plate, and if we had the ability to take a closer look at what is on each American's spiritual plate, uh, in most cases, we would find a large helping of Christianity, to be sure. Uh, but to the side, we might see a side of Buddhism. Uh, we might see a side of Catholicism. We might see a, a side of some otherism. And then we would make sure that we have to have a large helping of uh, psychobabble, self-help, uh, guru, uh, uh, mumbo-jumbo to, to make sure we have that on for good measure. And so you look at the average American spiritual plate and it, it's kind of this, this hodgepodge of, of different bits and pieces from various religions and philosophies and school of thoughts. And so we look at this book of Colossians that we began studying last week together, and we realize that the group that Paul was writing to, the church he was writing to, was in much the same situation we're in today. It was a Christian church, but some people had started to filter in from the outside to say, you know, uh, Jesus is good and all, but uh, you need a little something else. You need something new. You need something fresh. You need something in addition to what you've learned about Jesus Christ. And what they were being tempted to do is be pulled into this kind of religious hodgepodge similar to what we have today. In our day and age that we live in, many people are asking. We know that this used to be a Christian nation. It really is a post-Christian nation, honestly, today. But many people are asking, is Jesus really enough? Is Jesus really enough to give me fulfillment in my life? You know, come on, he lived 2,000 years ago. We live in a technologically advanced day. This is the 21st century after all. Uh, Jesus is great and all, but really, can one man, even a man as great as Jesus, really be enough to bring me satisfaction and fulfillment and wholeness in my life? Can he give my life purpose? Can he make me happy in this life I live? We ask that question, and the Bible answers back in Colossians with a resounding yes. Jesus absolutely is enough. Amen? Jesus is enough. And today we're going to pick up in Colossians 1, verse 15. This is really the heart of the book of Colossians. That message, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, is really what these six verses we're going to look at today are all about. It's a powerful passage, and I'm so glad that you're here as we dig into this passage today. So we're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Say amen if you're there. Here we go. He is the image of the invisible God. Who is He talking about? Jesus. You go up a few verses, it's talking about the Son of God. After this passage, uh, 21 and following, you'll see it's definitely talking about Jesus here. So He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything. He might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. It is so good today. And Lord, we don't believe it's an accident that you have each of us in this room today. We don't believe it's an accident that you have this passage for us to study today. So we pray, O oh God, that we would not squander this opportunity you've given us to open our ears and our minds and our hearts to what you want to teach us today. And as I pray often, Lord, I pray that my mouth would not get in the way of your mouth speaking. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this passage in Colossians 1 contains some of the most powerful and important teaching about Jesus in the whole Bible. As some would say that if we do not understand this passage, then we don't understand Jesus or Christianity. If you really want to know who Jesus is and whether or not He is the whole package, these verses are really just what the doctor ordered. I like what John MacArthur says about these six verses. He writes, of all the teachings about Jesus Christ, no passage is more significant than Colossians 1:15 through 15-20. This dramatic and powerful passage removes any needless doubt or confusion over Jesus' true identity. It is vital to a proper understanding of the Christian faith. Now, if we had to summarize this, these six verses in just four words, here's how I would summarize these six verses. Jesus Christ is supreme. Can you say that with me? Jesus Christ is supreme. Tell the person next to you, Jesus Christ is supreme. It's a powerful message in this passage. And really, in these six verses, he breaks it down into two areas, two things over which Jesus Christ is supreme. So we're going to take a closer look at those two things today. That Jesus is supreme over. The first of those, we'll see in verses 15 through 17, Jesus Christ is supreme over creation. Jesus Christ is supreme over creation. Now, I want to reread these first 3 verses to you, verses 15 through 17, but this time I want you to take notice of every time Paul uses the word all. In these verses. Because it's a bit surprising how often we find this little three-letter word. Starting in verse 15 again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him. All things hold together. That's a lot of uses of the word all, isn't it? It's there in verse 15. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Twice in verse 16, by Jesus all things were created. All things were created by Him and for Him. And twice in verse 17, He is before all things. In Him all things hold together. Do you think perhaps the Apostle Paul, as he was writing this book to the Colossians, do you think perhaps he was trying to tell us something? Maybe he was trying to tell us, just maybe, that Jesus Christ is all you need. Just maybe he was saying that Jesus Christ gives us all we need to have our spiritual longings met, to have our spiritual needs met. Paul makes it clear that Jesus Christ is all you need. Now let's take a closer look at these verses because they're so good. Let's look at the first part of verse 15. He is the image of of the invisible God. Now, we need to stop right there because a lot of people get confused about what that means. He is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? I'm so glad you asked. Because that wonderful little phrase there, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. It's important to understand this word image is a translation of the Greek word ikone, from which we get our English word icon. So when he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, he's saying he's the icon of the invisible God. And it's important to understand that in Greek thought, an image, an icon, shares in the physical realm what it represents in the spiritual realm. So when a a pagan worshiper in Greek culture would go to a a pagan temple and worship a stone or granite or metal idol, whatever it happened to be made out of, when he would go and worship at that temple, it wasn't simply that he was going to worship what that idol represented. In, In that day and age, he was actually worshiping that piece of granite. Because that was believed to be an icon, an image, a representative and also a manifestation of that real God in the spiritual realm, in our world, the physical realm. And so in Paul's day, when this word word image was used, it carried the idea of representation and manifestation. It wasn't just that it kind of looked like what was in the spiritual realm, it actually was that deity in the physical realm is what they believed. So with that understanding of image in mind, we can much better understand what Paul is saying here in verse 15. When he says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, he is saying two things. Number one, he's saying that God is invisible. It's the first thing he's saying. God is invisible. But number two, he's saying that Jesus Christ is the visible manifestation of God in our world. The physical manifestation of God in our world. Bible commentary Ernest Ashby, commentator Ernest Ashby says it this way, Christ is the visible likeness of God, the invisible, for while no man has seen God, the Son could claim, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And I like how Pastor Warren Wearsby says it. He says, in his essence, God is invisible. But Jesus Christ has revealed Him to us. Nature reveals the existence, the power, and the wisdom of God, but nature cannot reveal the very essence of God to us. It is only in Jesus Christ that the invisible God is revealed perfectly. Since no mere creature can perfectly reveal God, Jesus Christ, he writes, must be God. So before we move on to the second half of verse 15, we've got to answer this important question. When Paul tells us that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, is he actually saying that Jesus Christ is himself God? And the answer is yes. That is absolutely what he's saying here. Jesus Christ, he is saying, is God. He's saying that Jesus is not an image of God. He is the Image of God. The manifestation of the invisible God in the physical world. So God came into our world in a way that we could see Him and hear Him and touch Him. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came down because God decided to come down. Amen? That's such a powerful statement there. He is the image of the invisible God. Second half of the verse, the firstborn over all creation. What on earth does that mean? Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses, as many of you probably know, latch on to the second part of verse 15, and they say, here is clear evidence that Jesus Christ is not God. It clearly says He's the firstborn over all creation. And here's their logical reasoning with that. If you are born, then you have been created, have you not? And if you have been created, then you are not eternal. And if you have been created and you're not eternal, then you cannot be the eternal, uncreated God. Right? Now that makes perfect logical sense. If Paul had written this letter a week ago to English-speaking Americans. But at last I heard, he didn't do that, did he? He wrote this 2,000 years ago to the people in Asia Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, in a Greek and Roman culture. And so what did that word firstborn mean to them? Well, for sure that term firstborn at times, like in our culture, was used to talk about the first son born to a mom and dad. But it had a much broader use in those days. The second way firstborn was used was as a sign of power and authority and privilege and ranking within the family. And so this term firstborn refers to the position of privilege and authority. Now, would that meaning of the word firstborn make more sense in verse 15 than that interpretation that Jehovah's Witness tell us about? As a matter of fact, it does. Think about it. If Jesus came into existence by being somehow born by God, wouldn't that mean that He was created? As we've already seen, it does. So if He has been created... How could Paul say in the very next verse, verse 16, For by Him all things were created. All things, the last I checked, means all things. And so, logically, that statement... The interpretation of firstborn as somehow being birthed or created by God breaks down because He could not create all things if He Himself had been created. But if you look at that second use of the word firstborn, that Jesus Christ has been given all privilege, He has been given all authority over creation, that makes perfect sense in the context, doesn't it? And so that's exactly what Paul is saying here. So you look at verse 15, he is saying that Jesus is the one and only manifestation of the invisible God in our visible world. And not only that, he was and is the only one who occupies the position of privilege and authority over all creation. Are you getting the impression that Jesus Christ is pretty amazing? Oh, and we're just warming up here. Look at the next verse, verse 16 and 17 together we'll look at. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now, is Paul actually saying that Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe? Once again, yes. It's exactly what he's saying. God's Word is clear on this fact. Jesus Christ is the Creator of the universe. It's not just here. Over in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, the writer of Hebrews writes, In these last days God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. And then John 1, verse 3, Through Jesus all things were made, Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So what was made without Jesus? Nothing. Well, in case any of us were a bit skeptical about Jesus creating all things in the universe, Paul removes all doubt here in Colossians 1, verse 16. Look again at verse 16. Some of the false teachers had evidently been coming into the church and saying things like this. Well, okay, okay, given. Jesus Christ Created just about everything. He's a pretty tough guy. He's pretty strong. He's pretty powerful. But certainly he didn't create everything. Probably not the invisible things. He created the visible things, but he probably didn't create the invisible things. He probably didn't create angels. He probably didn't create gravity. And they're coming up with all these wild notions of what Jesus Christ couldn't do. And so Paul makes it clear. Uh, Let me say this as plainly as I know how. Verse 16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So anyone that would come along and say, certainly you didn't make angels, we can't see them. Paul says, in fact, he did make them. Well, he made things on earth, but probably not things in heaven, no. He made things on earth and also in heaven. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. And so what are these words he's referring to? Thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. Those are evidently rankings of angels. And I don't know how to sort those four descriptions of angels out. But suffice it to say, the point that Paul is making is this. No matter if you find a high-ranking angel or a low-ranking angel, Jesus Christ created them all. You might find an angel that's washing dishes, or you might find an angel that's blowing trumpets for millions. Whatever it is, He made them all. Whether they're high-ranking, low-ranking, big, strong, little, skinny, fat, whatever, He made them all. And He's making this point that all things were created by Him and for Him. Now I want you to notice these beautiful little prepositions used in these verses. Everything in the universe was created by Him And for Him, and everything in the universe holds together in Him. You catch those three beautiful little prepositions? By, for, and in. We look around us and see a a world that is incredibly complex and and fine-tuned. I was just doing some research earlier on the human eye. An amazing thing. There's somewhere around a 100 billion neurons inside our brains. And somewhere, researchers researchers aren't exactly sure, but somewhere between 10 and 25% of those 100 billion neurons are devoted to sight. And so we've got the retina and we've got the 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 light photoreceptor cells, uh, millions of them receiving all of this input that comes in through our eyeballs. Most of you realize this. The image actually in your brain uh, arrives at your brain upside down and it always knows to flip it upside down so we see everything upright. The The brightest minds in the scientific community still have yet to completely map the human eye. It is that complex. And we look at this amazing world with all the complexity. And when we really come to our senses, we have to understand, we have to realize, there is no possible way that all of this stuff in the universe happened by chance. We come to our senses and realize, you know what? I don't like the idea of admitting that there's a God, but you know what? I have to be honest. I have to be intellectually honest. There is clearly the fingerprint of a designer on everything. Everything. In this universe, there's no way such a complex and fine-tuned universe could exist without a designer, without intelligent design, without a creator. And Paul says, you've wondered how this stuff came about in this universe? Let me tell you, all things were created by Jesus Christ. Okay, given. I, I relent. There's a creator. I relent. There's an intelligent designer behind all of this. But what's the point of it all? Why am I here? Why am I here? Why was I born? What's the meaning of life? Okay, there's a Creator out there, but He's distant. He doesn't care, does He? I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what the purpose and the meaning of life is. And Paul says, well, let me tell you, all things were created for Him. Okay, I relent. Everything was created by Him. And He put me here for a purpose. And I don't know if I want to even know what that purpose is, but I'll accept the fact that I was created for Him. But why am I living after all of these things I've been through, all of these crises? You think of just even our planet. How is this planet still around with all the radiation floating out in the solar system and all of the asteroids coming down and all of the expansion going off Uh, in the universe, and this is a a world of much upheaval. How come everything hasn't simply fallen apart? How come I haven't fallen apart? I should have died ten years ago in that accident. I should have had my life end with cancer. Whatever it is, why am I still here? And Paul says, let me tell you, in Him all things hold together. Some of you may be here today and you don't know, you know what? I don't even know if I believe in this God stuff. I, I, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, all things means you too. You were created by Him. And whether you accept it or not, the fact was He placed you on this earth at a specific time and at a specific place with a specific purpose in mind. I can guarantee you it's a good purpose to bring Him honor and glory to fulfill what He fine-tuned you for, what He created you for in your mother's womb. And if you're wondering why you're still around when you should have been dead years ago because you abused your body with drugs or you were in that accident or you had that diagnosis or whatever it was, in a group this size, there's a good chance that some of us popped those pills or held that pistol to our head at some point in our lives and it didn't end us. And God's Word speaks to us today. In Him, you have been held together. I don't know about you, but that that hits a soft spot in me. There have been many times that my life should have ended or at least been seriously maimed. And in my Lord, I have been held together. We look at these three verses and Paul says, catch this. Jesus is the one and only manifestation of the invisible God in our visible world. And not only that, He was and is the only one who occupies the position of privilege and authority over all creation. He is eternal with no beginning and no end. He created everything in the universe. Everything in the universe was created by Him and for Him. And all of it holds together in Him. Wow! And now Paul says, hold on, I'm just warming up. Starting in verse 18 again, notice what he says in these three verses. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. The glorious passage. So in those first Three verses we looked at, we saw that Jesus Christ is supreme over all creation. And here in these three verses, verses 18 through 20, Paul makes it clear that Jesus Christ is supreme over all eternity. He's supreme over all eternity. It's a marvelous thing to realize that Jesus Christ is the all-powerful Creator. Everything in this world, everything in this life finds its origin and purpose and sustainability in Him. But let's face it, this life here on earth is just a drop in the bucket of eternity. Think about it. If you live to be a hundred years old here on earth before you die, that one hundred years is not even a warm-up lap of the length of eternity, is it? Eternity is so much bigger. Eternity is so much longer. Even those of us who live to be a hundred, that's a drop in the bucket on the timeline of eternity. So we don't want to just know that Jesus Christ is the creator of this world. We don't want to just know that He is the sustainer of this world, that He has a purpose for me in this world. Let's be honest. Eternity is such, uh, uh, in comparison so much greater and more more, uh, impactful and lasting than this life here on earth. I want to know who's in charge of that eternity. I want to know who's in charge of that. And Paul says here in verses 18 through 20, let me tell you, Who's in charge of that? His name is Jesus Christ. He makes it clear that Jesus is the head of the church, which is called the body of Christ. The New Testament makes it clear that only those in Christ's body will make it to heaven. Paul points out also in verse 18 that Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Once again, he's using this word firstborn. So once again, he's talking about priority and privilege and authority. And so, he's saying that Jesus has the privilege and authority to blaze a trail to heaven for any of those who follow Him. And Paul, I love this little phrase in verse 18, writes, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. And so, in case any of us missed it, Paul makes it clear. If you're wondering who has the supremacy over all this stuff in the physical world, over this life that we know, His name is Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone wondering who is supreme over eternity, this is the drop of the bucket, but hey, let's talk about the much longer period of time, eternity. Let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about uh, the, the, the life after this one. Jesus is in charge of that as well. He is supreme over all eternity. Once again in verse 19, he says, For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Paul emphasizes here that Jesus is supreme over reconciliation. In other words, He is the only one who can restore our broken relationship with God. He is the only one who could pay the death penalty for our sins so that we could live with God forever. He's the only one who can offer us the mercy and grace and forgiveness and peace that we desperately need. He is the only one who holds the key to heaven. And that's why Jesus said point blank in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When it comes to this physical world that we live in, it's so important to understand that everything in the universe was created by Him and for Him and holds together in Him. And when it comes to the new and improved eternal world, it's so important to understand that everything in eternity, catch this, was created by Him and for Him. And in Him, everything in eternity holds together. And when it comes to the, this new and improved eternal life in heaven, we have to take hold of that. We have to take hold of it. Jesus Christ is, hands down, the most powerful, the most important, the most awe-inspiring person in the world, past, present, and future, and I want to know, do you know Him? I agree with S.M. Lockridge. I wish I could describe him to you. He's the one and only manifestation of the invisible God in our visible world. Not only that He was and is the only One who occupies the position of privilege and authority over all creation. He is eternal with no beginning and no end. He created everything in the universe. Everything in the universe was created by Him and for Him. And all of it holds together in Him. He is Lord of all creation. He is Lord of all eternity. He is our only hope of forgiveness. He is our only hope of a relationship with God. He is our only hope of a life filled with purpose and grace and peace. He is our only hope of heaven because heaven is all about Jesus Christ. And miracle of miracles, this awe inspiring creator of heaven and earth actually loves me. This all powerful creator of heaven and earth actually loves you and desires to be in a relationship with you. But being a gentleman, he will not force himself upon you. You have to choose. Whether you like it or not, you are His creation. You were created by Him and for Him, and He is the only reason that you haven't completely fallen apart. So it's my hope and prayer that today you'll humbly embrace Him as your Lord and Savior. He created you, but you must choose to put Him in that place of Lord of your life. He created you. He has a plan for you. But you have to choose whether or not you're going to walk in obedience to that will and plan. I hope you do. Because there's no one like Him. Lord Jesus, there is none like You. Lord Jesus, we thank You for coming to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. You made a way to make us right with God the Father. You came to show us how to live. You came to demonstrate in our visible world what the invisible God looks like. We believe that You are the perfect representation and manifestation of Him. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray to You. We worship You. We follow You as God. Thank you Lord Jesus. If you're here today, you have never made that decision